This podcast is presented to you by High Desert Word Center in Barstow, California. For more information, visit hdwc.org. Well, today we're going to be on part five of our series on disciples. Has anybody learned anything over the past five weeks about being a disciple? You know, I've decided, man, I'd rather hang out with disciples any day of the week than I, than I don't care if you're rich, famous, or whatever. Let me hang out with some disciples of Jesus Christ, man. They're the best people in this world. And I've, I've discovered I'd rather have a, a church of 20 disciples than a church of 10,000 converts. There's a difference between, and we've said it, you've heard it a hundred times, there's a difference between somebody that's converted to Christianity and somebody that said, I am going to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. I'm willing to give up money. I'm willing to give up friends. I'm willing to give up anything. I just want to be close to Jesus and be used by him. That's a disciple. And we're going to look at that uh, one more time this week. If you need uh, an outline for the sermon, raise your hand and the ushers will give you one. And, uh, and, and so go ahead and raise your hand. But I want to open this morning to a verse in Revelation chapter 22. Revelation chapter 22. And we're going to kind of take a look at some end times teaching today, believe it or not. We're going to look at some end times stuff. If you're, if you're into that or if you're not into it, it doesn't matter because it's going to happen either way. So <laughs> you might as well get into it. But Revelation chapter 22, because I do believe that Jesus is coming back soon. And I don't just throw that phrase out there because, you know, it's what we're supposed to say because we're Christians. Like, I seriously, seriously believe Jesus is coming back soon. And uh, and so for a, somebody that's a disciple, they're excited. They're like, yes, I've been waiting my whole life for this. The, a disciple is excited about the end times. A lukewarm, carnal, half-baked, don't really care, convert Christian, they don't really care. They're just going to do what they've always done and give Jesus, you know, a little bit of who they are. Now, somebody that's not saved at all, well, then they should be terrified because uh, it's not going to end well for them. But for us today, I want to show you a few things here about uh, about the end times and what it means for you as a disciple living in the end times. Revelation 22, verse 7, Jesus said, look, I am coming soon. Blessed are those who obey the words of prophecy written in this book. Now, are you somebody that obeys the words of prophecy written in this book? If you're a disciple, you are. And so this is an exciting time for you. And it says you're going to be blessed. It doesn't say, well, look out. If you're one of those that obeys the words of prophecy written in this book, look out. It's a coming down the track. No, it says blessed are you. This is going to be a good time for you. But Jesus said, look, I I'm coming soon. Now, he said this a couple thousand years ago. Where's he at? Why have we not seen him yet when he said, I am coming soon? I've heard it my entire life. You've probably heard it your entire life. I And people make fun of us. Oh, they've been saying that for hundreds of years. Where's he at? And, you know, and Peter said, whoa, you don't want to mock that. Peter said, hey, those of you that are going to mock and say you've been promising that Jesus is coming. He said, hold on now. Time out. He said, the reason he isn't here is for your benefit, because if he had come already, you'd be in hell right now is what, you know, I'm roughly paraphrasing what Peter said. He said, it's a good thing for you. I'd slow down the the, the mocking because it's for your benefit that he hasn't come yet. He hasn't come yet because he's giving as much time as he possibly can for people to get their eyes open and really receive Jesus 
But more than that, become a disciple of Jesus and really make him the Lord of their lives. And so I'm going to look at three things today. Actually, a lot more than three things, but I've broken it down into three points. The first thing I'm going to say is this, is why hasn't Jesus come back yet? Well, number one, because God's time zone is different than ours is. They keep time differently in heaven than they do in Barstow. It's a little bit different than the Pacific time. And so 2 Peter 3, 8, let's flip over there. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 8. Amen. Who has found out that God's timing is different than your timing? I mean, according to my timing, I should be a billionaire right now. I should be rich and everybody should love me. And, you know, but it just it's not quite there yet. I should be playing basketball in the NBA, but it hasn't happened yet. So given up on that dream and moved on. Second Peter, chapter three and verse eight. Check this out. Second Peter three, eight, it says, but you must not forget this one thing, dear friends. A day is like a thousand years to the Lord and a thousand years is like a day. What is that? I mean, that's totally different than anything we're used to. I mean, sometimes our days, they seem to go by like just like that or sometimes they drag on. But it doesn't matter what how you're keeping time. What matters is, is how God is keeping time. And a thousand years is just like a day to God. Now, a lot of times we're expecting God to operate on our time zone and you can't do that. Think about this. You know, some of you travel sometimes. We go back to the East Coast and the Midwest a lot to visit our family and stuff. How stupid would it be? You know, I buy tickets to a movie that starts at 7 p.m. and I show up at 7 p.m. Pacific time. I miss the whole thing. I demand a refund. I go and I, I raise a big mess to the manager. How dare you? This is specifically said seven o'clock. I came at seven o'clock my time. You all have to adjust to me. It's all about me. You all have to adjust and do things on my time because I'm here now. Well, they'd probably, you know, kick me out of the place, call the cops, whatever. Get me, you know, get me out of their hair because I'm expecting everybody else to adjust and do things according to me. They call the shots over there on the on the eastern time zone. I can't just roll in and say, you all adjust to me and do it how I think it should be done. It doesn't work that way. And a lot of us were like, well. Why isn't God doing things the way that I think they should be done? Why isn't God doing things in my time? I don't know. I'm not God. But listen, you need to take a time out for a minute and chill out for just a second and realize that you can't comprehend his time. It says a a thousand years is like a day. And so if Jesus said this a couple thousand years ago, that's been like two days. He said, I'm coming soon. It's been two days now. You know, and so here we are. Well, 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 why hasn't it happened? Listen, in the time zone of heaven, it could have just been a couple of days since Jesus rose from the dead and ascended into heaven. But we don't comprehend that all the way. And so I'm telling you right now that if he said that a couple thousand years ago or a couple of days ago in heaven, where are we at right now? Well, we could be mere seconds. We could be mere minutes in God's time zone from the Lord actually returning and so we may think yeah it's taken him a long time but he's he's sitting there thinking this hasn't been very long at all but he is trying to give us time to get things right with god and to step up to the plate and live for him and you know keeping in mind that god's time zone is different i'm going to talk a little bit different than normal today we're going to discuss some different types of things that we wouldn't normally discuss but i'm thinking about how many things have happened in just the last hundred years or so 
that would, now to some of us, we're like, oh, that's, that's ancient history. It was like 60 years ago. Think about World War II, you know, 60, 70 years ago, whatever. That's not that long ago. That's not that long ago when a lot of things have happened that the Bible prophesied were going to happen. And I, I know World War II was a very big part of end times prophecy. And you're like, 70 years ago. Well, five minutes ago, if you're going by God's time zone, it was it was in times. It was, you know, it was it was the last days. But think about this. Hitler killed over six million Jewish people. That was two thirds of the Jewish population in Europe. Can you imagine wiping two thirds of a race out of of a continent? That is sickening. But a lot of this stuff was prophesied. And you got to remember that Israel is the most important piece to the end times puzzle. And a lot of us, I mean, if you don't know much about the Bible, you don't, you don't get it at all. You don't care about Israel. You don't care. But, but you've got to realize how important that little tiny piece of real estate. It's about the size of New Jersey. And the state, and, you know, the countries all around it, Egypt and all these places, they're monstrous compared to this little speck on the map. But they hate this little speck. They despise this little speck because God said that one little piece of real estate there, that one little speck, that one's mine. You cannot have that little piece right there. And it ticks them off, man. They hate it. And and, 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 there, and there's been wars for thousands of years over this time. Look at a map. It's tiny. You can barely see Israel compared to some of these other countries that are around. It, it is absolutely tiny. But Jesus said, this place, hey, we'll be there. When the end comes, we're going to be a nation. And for 1,878 years, Israel was not an actual nation. The Babylonians took over it in Bible times. And for nearly 1,900 years, you know, there's the Jewish people as a race. But there was no nation of Israel until 1948. And you're like, that's not that long ago. That's 70 years ago. Israel actually came back together and became a nation once again. That's in some of our lifetimes here. The end, whether you believe it or not, that's fine. You know, do what you want to do. But I'm telling you, I'd wake up, man. I'd get my head out of the sand and realize that this uh, he, he wasn't just blowing smoke. This is really going to happen. Jesus really is going to come back. And so let's look at Jeremiah chapter 30. Jeremiah chapter 30. So Israel was ruled and controlled by other nations and by other kingdoms for nearly 2,000 years. And then only 70 years ago from right now, only 70 years ago, uh, they finally became a nation again. It was prophesied, and I'm going to show you a verse here. It was prophesied that Israel would be a nation. People, Can you imagine waiting on something for 1,800 years and after a while they're going to say, you've been saying that for like 1,500 years now. Where's it at? You've been saying that for 18, we've been hearing it, you are never going to become a nation again. And people laughed, they made fun, they said it's never going to happen, just like they're telling you, oh, that rapture stuff, that Jesus coming, they've been saying that since I was a kid, and I'm 40. But listen, listen to me, it's going to happen. Jeremiah chapter 30, we're going to look at a few verses here, some interesting stuff. Jeremiah chapter 30, and verse 3 And it says, for the time is coming when I will restore the fortunes of my people of Israel and Judah. I will bring them home to this land that I gave to their ancestors and they will possess it again. I, the Lord, have spoken. That was a prophecy to the Jewish people. 
And uh, and they stood on that and nobody believed them. Nobody believed it. But it finally happened in 1948. They came home to their land that God promised to their ancestors and they possess it right now to this day. And there are fights. Most of the nations of the world do not stand in favor of the Jewish people possessing Israel. And you see that. I mean, it's all this political nonsense of the Palestinians fighting them and all this and, and half the celebrities in Hollywood are there for the Palestinians. That shows you how much of a good role model they are. And I found out that if any, basically if any celebrity is for something, I'm, chances are I'm against it. You know what I mean? They come out and tell you who to vote for. I'm like, I don't even know what you're talking about, but I'm the opposite because you're a moron. All right. So anyway, amen. Holy times in church today. And so praise God. But but all this sounded great. Okay, that they are going to possess the land once again. That sounded awesome. But then the next few verses prophesy something very grim and nasty. They, they, they prophesy the Holocaust that occurred before the Jews were able to retake their land. And, and so Jeremiah 30 verses 4 through 8. So God just said, you're going to get your land back. But here's what happens. This is the message the Lord gave concerning Israel and Judah. This is what the Lord says. I hear cries of fear. There's terror and no peace. Now, let me ask you a question. Do men give birth to babies? Then why do they stand there ashen faced, hands pressed against their sides like a woman in labor? And I didn't want to show pictures today, but I did look some up. And you look at pictures of the Holocaust. There are these poor men. Their faces are ashen. And their, 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 their stomachs are bloated from being starved to death. It, it's awful. It's like a, it looks terrible. But it says, that's, this, it's gonna happen. In all history, there has never been such a time of terror. There's never been such a time of terror. It will be a time of trouble for my people, Israel. But you just said we're getting our land back. Whoa. Yet in the end, they will be saved. For in that day, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I will break the yoke from their necks and snap their chains. Foreigners will no longer be their masters. And so I should have looked, I think World War II ended in 46 or 47 or was 44. Anyway, uh, but, but they reclaimed Israel in 1948. That's incredible right there. And it says, yet in the end, they will be saved. And that tells you why it's so important for the United States to be strong. Because guess who went in there? Us and our allied forces. You know, today's not history class. But listen, those people, they love the United States. I've got friends in Europe and other places, and you hear how they all hate us. I've got some friends where the U.S. came in and, and we saved some countries like Holland. You know, the Netherlands, my friends in the Netherlands, they love America. And we hear how much they hate Dude, in the Netherlands, they're obsessed with America because we saved their behinds from Hitler. He was he was there at Amsterdam about to wipe them out, and the U.S. stopped it at the last minute. Anyway, history class. But what I'm telling you is God has a call on the United States. He has a call on you. And this is the end times. And, and as a disciple, this makes you happy. And what I, I'm stirring the waters a little bit today to show you my main point that I'm going to get to in the end is that we are called to make disciples of all nations. But you're, you're going to have no motivation to do that if you don't even believe that Jesus is coming back soon. You'll have no urgency. You won't really care. 
you'll just think, yeah, well, you know, we'll just, yeah. if we got time, we'll do it. If we got time for God, if we got time for this, if we got time for church, if I got time to read my Bible today, I'll get around to it. See, if you don't realize that Jesus is seriously coming back soon, you'll have no urgency. I am trying to get you a sense of urgency today to see that Jesus wasn't lying when he said, I'm coming back soon. And I'm trying to get you to realize that I'm not just trying to get people to repeat a prayer after me. I'm done with that. I'm talking about making disciples of all nations. I'm talking about getting people to say, Jesus, you are my Lord. Everything I have belongs to you. And so... Another thing that recently happened, and hey, I took a little heat for this, but now I'm glad that I did. You know, and uh, we talked about this blood moon thing just a couple of years ago. Uh, some of you remember that. Now, a blood moon is a total lunar eclipse that makes the turn the moon turn blood red. Uh, let's turn to Joel chapter 2. Let's flip there and I'll, I'll explain. Joel chapter 2. And in... 2014 to 15, there were a total of four blood moons. I don't know if anybody remembers that. That's just a couple years ago. But the strange thing, we have, we have this happen from time to time. But the strange thing is that all four of these fell on Jewish holidays. There's Pentecost, there's Passover. They fell on these different Jewish holidays. And so traditionally, we would call that a biblical tetrad. Now, this has only happened three times in the last 500 years where you've had a biblical But each of those three times, something monumental has happened to the nation of Israel each time. And scientists from NASA say that the next time that we have a biblical tetrod, if the earth is still here, that would be in about 600 years. This is when the next one will occur. And so you can see that it's it's not just your everyday thing. Well, uh, Joel chapter 2, verse 30, look at this prophesying about the end times, it says, and I will cause wonders in the heavens and on the earth, blood and fire and columns of smoke. Well, that could be a whole lot of things. Uh, But look at verse 31. The sun will become dark and the moon will turn blood red before that great and terrible day of the Lord arrives. And so, you know, and it's mentioned in several different places. This is just one spot that it kind of talks about this type of thing. But let me tell you a couple of historical things that are interesting uh, for disciples, you know, those that don't care, just go ahead and continue with your nap. We'll wake you up at the end. In 1493, a biblical tetrod occurred. And this is the, during the time that, that uh, Spain banished and tortured all the Jewish people for refusing to convert to Catholicism. They, it was called the Spanish Inquisition. And so the, the Catholic Church, they wanted the, the Jews to convert to Catholicism, and they wouldn't do it. And so if you read about some really bad stuff happened to the Jewish people during this time, I mean, they tortured them, they killed them, they, they took their possessions, they, they stole their goods, they confiscated their gold and silver. And uh, Spain had been home to the second highest Jewish population on earth for nearly a thousand years. Uh, King Ferdinand and Queen Isabella, they confiscated their money and possessions. And in 1492, as they began expelling these people, they used a lot of their money to finance this man named Christopher Columbus to go discover this new world. 1492, Columbus sailed the ocean blue. (laughs) And he discovered America. Well, a lot of that money to pay for that trip was 
money from the Spanish Inquisition when they stole it from the Jewish people. But God kind of has the last laugh because America has become one of the safest places for Jewish people in the world. And uh, today we're uh, the sec- I think we're the second highest population of any country of over five million Jewish people. But a lot of the Jewish people then they they falsely converted to Catholicism to avoid the persecution. They were called Moranos. And from what I've read, Christopher Columbus was Jewish and he was a Morano. He, 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 he faked his, his conversion so he wouldn't get, uh, so he wouldn't be killed or tortured and he ended up discovering this new land. So 1492 could have been a really bad time and it was, but God used what was looking like a terrible time for the Jews to open up the door for a new safe place for them. So that was one tetrad where something happened. And then the next one didn't happen all the way till 1949 and 1950. And, uh, and that time frame right there is when Israel became a nation again after nearly 1900 years. And then the next one happened 20 some years later in 1967 and 68. Four blood moons on Jewish holidays. What happened then? Israel took over Jerusalem again. Israel took over the city of Jerusalem again in the Six-Day War. And I'll bet some of you remember that uh, a couple years before I was born. But some of you may remember the Six-Day War. And Israel, they kicked the enemy out and they took over the city of Jerusalem again. And then the next one that happened was 2014 and 15. And it seemed like nothing was happening. And, I, you know, I was like, hey, you know, something could happen, something may not happen. But every other time something has happened. And so... Sure enough, these things happen, and there's always things going on with Israel. But then last year, 2017, so shortly after this tetrad, uh, last year was a year of jubilee on the Jewish calendar, if you know anything about that. It was a year of jubilee. And in December, God used an extremely unlikely candidate and used Donald Trump to help Israel reclaim Jerusalem and recognize it as their actual capital. And some of you, you're like, yeah, who cares? If you know anything about the Bible, you care. That's monumental. Massive. That's the biggest thing that's happened in my lifetime. And, and it happened in December of last year. And as, after he recognized Jerusalem as the real capital, because Tel Aviv, that means really nothing to the Jewish people. It's even, it even has barely is mentioned in the Bible at all, but it is. But that's what was handed to them as their capital. But that has no significance to them. Jerusalem is their capital and it belongs to them. And so in December, less than a year ago, 10 months ago, uh, the U.S. finally recognized that. And a few other countries have joined with us. And we've moved our embassy there and other countries have. And it's a really big deal for them. Really big. And And I've read and I've seen from... Credible sources, you know, not not some, you know, weird news source, but that there there are absolutely plans being rolled out now to rebuild the temple, Solomon's temple in Jerusalem. That has to happen before Jesus comes back. The temple has to be built. And that didn't look like it was going to happen in my lifetime. But here it is. Plans are being rolled out They're They're getting bids and contracts and all kinds of stuff to rebuild Solomon's temple in our lifetime. But, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't take it too seriously. It's just, they've been saying that my whole life. So, you know, whatever. I'm saying big things are happening. Jesus is coming back. And you can agree or not, that's fine. But, hey, 
uh, we'll wave at you on our way up. How's that sound? So let's look at a few current signs that Jesus talked about. A few current signs. Let's look at Matthew chapter 24. I hope you're learning some things today. School is in session. That's why I pulled out the cardigan. Well, actually, that's not why, but. And yes, I have watched a lot of Mr. Rogers this week, strangely. Yes. And I don't appreciate those of you that make fun of me calling me Mr. Rogers. Especially my own children. It's mainly them. But anyway. That eight-year-old has a mouth on him. Matthew 24, we're going to look at verses 4 through 5. And so Jesus, he says something here to the to his disciples at the beginning is this uh, Matthew chapter 24 and Luke 17. Uh, these are called the Olivet Discourse because these are uh, chapters where Jesus, especially Matthew 24, goes into great detail about uh, what what's going to happen in the end times. He, he lays it out. This is what's going to happen. And so he's walking along there with his disciple and he says, hey. You see this temple? It's going to be torn down, not one stone left on top of each other. And the disciples are like, what? That'll never happen. Because, I mean, to them, the temple, that was everything. They couldn't even imagine that it would be torn down. Well, it was. But Jesus said, listen, it's going to happen. And so they're like, well, tell us, what are some of the things that are going to happen? Tell us some signs that are going to take place in the end of times. And so Jesus, he starts telling them all this stuff to expect. Matthew 24, verse 4. Jesus told them, don't let anyone mislead you, for many will come in my name claiming I am the Messiah. They will deceive many. Well, how would anybody believe? I mean, come on, if somebody comes and says I'm the Messiah, what are you going to do? Probably punch him in the eye. I don't know. No, you're not. Shut up. You're not the Messiah. You're a weirdo. But Jesus said it would happen. And so therefore... It will happen and it has happened and it is happening. And I've got an interesting news clip that I showed you a couple of years ago. And actually, I found some newer clips, but I'm going to stick with this one for today about there's this man in South America. Actually, he has a big presence in Florida, but he literally says he claims that he is Jesus Christ, the Messiah. And you'd think that nobody would believe him. He's got thousands of followers that bow down and worship him and tell him that he's the Messiah. And so this is just a little little clip. It's actually from NBC, the Today Show. They picked it up. But uh, go ahead, Heather, and play this interesting little clip. Hotel conference room in Hartford, Connecticut, with a security team that rivals a head of state. An adoring audience greets him with calls of daddy. And sings his praises. He is 60-year-old Jose Luis de Jesus Miranda from Puerto Rico, a preacher, an evangelist to be sure, but to his followers and in his own eyes, he's more than a man of God. Just ask him. I'm Jesus Christ, man, in front of you. That's right. He says he is the second coming. He claims in 1973 he had an epiphany. When Jesus, the resurrected Jesus came to me he integrate himself within me so why you i don't know in the mid 80s miranda started his own ministry called creciendo en gracia or growing in grace it's a religious movement that claims a presence in more than 20 countries mostly in central and south america but also in the united states 
From Hartford to his headquarters in Miami, he says there are more than 30 teaching centers nationwide. We don't give membership cards, so I don't know how many I have, but certainly are millions. Every week we, we grow. And with a 24-hour cable channel, netcasts of his sermons and radio programs, Miranda is out to spread the word. Those who believe him, like these followers in Miami, also embrace his unique interpretation of the Bible. For example, sin no longer exists. God doesn't see you as a sinner. For me, you are a perfect spirit. There's also no such thing as the devil. Satan is a, a Hollywood uh, character. As for prayer, he says it's a waste of time, and he calls all other religious leaders liars. The lies began in Rome. I'm against all those teachings from Catholic, uh, Protestant, Evangelicals. They're not teaching the right gospel. His followers say Miranda is the only one telling the truth and that his teachings have set them free. I thank him so much for being able to look myself in the mirror and knowing that I'm seeing him in me and that I could literally love myself. So, <laughs> if you don't believe me that anybody would go along and believe somebody, there you have it. And there's many more that are equally crazy to that guy. But uh, so I'm telling you, Jesus said this stuff would happen. And we were like, that would never happen. Yes, it would. And it is. And it will continue to happen. And so, yes, he said, don't let anyone mislead you. Some are going to come in my name. Many will come in my name claiming I am the Messiah. And they will deceive many. Another thing Jesus said is in verse 14 of Matthew 24. He said, and the good news about the kingdom will be preached throughout the whole world so that all nations will hear it. And then the end will come. Well, I hear people, they, they, they read these verses and they think that that means literally every single individual person has to uh, hear, hear the, the, the gospel and read the Bible and have it. Listen, it, it doesn't necessarily say that that would be great. But he said here, every nation, all nations We'll hear it. Well, what are nations? Those aren't geographical areas. Nations comes from the Greek word ethnos, which is our word ethnic. Every ethnicity, every every nationality, every race of people have to get a chance to hear the gospel. And then the end will come. Now, in previous generations, this wasn't even a remote possibility. I mean, most people traveled maybe 50 miles from their birthplace in their entire life. Up until a couple, maybe a hundred or two years ago, I mean, it, it, you don't get how much things have advanced in our lifetime. But we're the first generation in history where literally we can spread the gospel to all nations and every corner and every person of the world can hear it. There, uh, there's never been another point in human history where this was possible. It's absolutely possible right now. And I believe in our day and age that... Probably close, nearly every nation, every people group has had a chance to hear the gospel. Let me show you something else. In Luke chapter 17, this is a parallel passage to Matthew chapter 24. Luke 17. Luke 17. Are we having a good time today? Are the disciples getting excited? The disciples are excited. They're ready to go out and do the work of God. Amen. And take a salvation card with you and get people to repeat a prayer. Then tell them they're good to go, right? 
No, <laughs> we're going to make disciples of all nations. Ask them to slip their hand up with nobody else looking. That way they won't be embarrassed of Jesus, right? Okay, we're learning something good. <laughs> you know, Jesus always publicly called people out. He never, he ne- whenever Jesus called somebody to salvation, when he gave an altar call, he made them come to him. He said, Zacchaeus, get your little butt out of that tree and come down here, man. He called Zacchaeus out of the tree. He, Jesus would call you out in public because he knew, man, you, if you're going to be embarrassed about me, you're not, I can't deal with you, man. You got to be proud. You got to, you got to be able to acknowledge Jesus. Publicly, but Luke 17 verses 26 through 27, uh, same thing. Jesus giving a description of the end times. He says, when the son of man returns, it'll be like it was in Noah's day. In those days, the people enjoyed banquets and parties and weddings right up to the time that Noah entered his boat and the flood came and destroyed them all. Now, Noah's day, obviously, it, that was an evil time. It was an evil, evil time. And I think that it's a pretty accurate description of our current generation. I mean, these people, they just wanted to party and have a good time. They just wanted to get as rich as they could. They just wanted to. It was all about them, a very selfish, selfish society. And Jesus said, it's going to be like it was in Noah's day before I come back. That's how the world is going to be right up to the time that God came and closed the door to that boat. They were out there mocking, making fun, drinking, feasting, partying right up until the last minute. And Noah warned people, but they made fun of him. Just like you warn people and they make fun of you. I mean, we're out here warning people. We're waving our arms. Hey, it's going to happen. There's a flood coming. There's something's coming, man. I don't know exactly when, but it is coming. And they're like, oh, my gosh, you're a lunatic. You're crazy, man. Shut up. We've seen people like you for years. And they're making fun of you. And if you're a disciple, it doesn't bother you. You just keep on moving on and you, you keep keep doing your job. But people make fun of you. They'll mock you. They'll call you crazy, all sorts of things. But they quit making fun of them when the flood came. When, 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 the, when the ground broke open and water came from the ground and when the skies opened and it came from the sky, the earth was sandwiched in between. And for 40 days and 40 nights, water from all over the place. And we know it says that it was 22 feet above the highest point on earth. Well, Mount Everest is 29,029 feet tall. So we're talking about nearly 30,000 feet of flooding here. And I believe that this actually happened. And, and, and nobody was laughing then. Everybody wanted on that boat. And they're laughing at you right now. They're going to want on the boat when the flood comes. They'll be begging to get in. And, you know, and while I'm not sitting here gloating over this fact, but it's going to happen. All these things, everything the Bible's prophesied, sometimes it takes a long time, but it eventually happens. And then everybody that was making fun of you and mocking you and rolling their eyes, they're, you know, they're banging on the door, but usually it's too late at that point. But I'm telling you, Jesus said it's going to be like it was in Noah's day. They're partying. They're having a good time right up until the end. Then the flood came. Look at the next two verses, verses 28 and 29, a further description of what Jesus said it'd be like. He said, and the world will be as it was in the days of Lot. People went about their daily business, eating and drinking, buying and selling, farming and building. Until the morning Lot left Sodom, then fire and burning sulfur rained down from heaven and destroyed them all. 
Don't tell this story to your kids right before bed. But anyway, yes. Now, kids, remember, the fire and burning sulfur came out of heaven. Sweet dreams. No, that's not good for them. But, I mean, they need to know the truth. But, but what I'm saying is, Jesus said the earth is going to be like it was in the days of Lot. Well, if you know two things about the Bible, you realize that the days of Lot, what was it? It was sexual sin. Hello? I heard, I was talking to someone, and I don't want to call names, so I won't, but this individual was not very bright. And he said, the sins of Sodom, whoa, whoa, the, you think it was sexual sin? <laughs> Their sin was a lack of hospitality. I said, what? Yeah, they were rude to the angels. I, they weren't rude. <laughs> rude is putting it mildly. They tried to do things to those angels, man. It was sick. So no, don't let anybody lie to you. The sins of Sodom and Gomorrah were sexual sins. It was not their lack of hospitality, and they didn't have fresh-baked cookies for the angels. Their sins were they were trying to have relations with the angels. And so, if, if you again, you know two things about the Bible. You know that Sodom and Gomorrah, that, that's sexual sin. That's homosexuality specifically, but especially sexual sin. And so, Jesus said, listen... The world's going to be like it was in Lot's day before I come back. And I mean, I'm not going to go into it, but would you say the world's like it was in Lot's day? It's there. It's there. I mean, it's absolutely there. And so I'm telling you, Jesus so far, he's like five for five out of these prophecies that I'm showing you. He has hit the nail on the head with everything he said would happen. And people are like, it'll never happen. Yep, it's happening. And it is happening fast. What do the stories of Noah and Lot have in common? Well, one thing is the removal of the righteous before the judgment of the wicked. In all these cases, judgment was coming, but God always gave the righteous a chance to get out. And I'm telling you, judgment's coming, but you're the righteous and God is giving you a chance to get out. You know what I mean? And we're talking about the rapture. And, you know, that's that's the whole deep teaching there. But I, I believe in the pre-tribulation rapture. I believe that that Jesus is going to come and rescue his church and his bride before the actual tribulation begins. Now, that's not something that I'll argue to the death, because I know some people like that's the main thing on their agenda is to you which side of the tribulation you're on. Like, hey, man, if you want to go late, that's fine. I'm on the first ticket out of here. I want out. I don't want none of that. But, it, hey, if you, if you want to fight for your rights to stay down here and tribulate, then tribulate, my brother. But I'm going up. I don't want to be here for that. And anyway, I believe there's a lot of good biblical evidence for that, but we're not going into that today. So the, the common denominator between these two stories, Jesus said, it's going to be like this. But the beautiful thing about these stories is the righteous always had a way to get out before the judgment came. And sometimes they chose to, and sometimes they didn't. But Matthew chapter 24, verse 13. Let's look at this. Matthew 24, 13. Back to Matthew 24. And so, it's an exciting time. It is an exciting time. Jesus is coming back. And and so, to somebody that's a disciple, they'll take as something as easy as Harvest Fest. They're like, well, what does that have to do with anything? We're passing out candy to kids. Listen, Harvest Fest is a great time to not only go out and witness... But I'm looking to make disciples. 
This is, I'm not looking to convert people anymore. I'm talking about what a golden opportunity. Think of the potential. There's, the, there's going to be a mass of people. Think about the potential disciples that are in that crowd. We could have Peters in there. We could have James and Johns, uh, some Judas. Wait, no, not Judas. Uh, no, we could have. We could have, but we could have some great disciples in this crowd, you know. So I'm, I'm looking at this. This is a great opportunity, and it's beyond my comprehension how you could be a disciple. And and, and I could tell you there's going to be a mass of unsaved people. Go get them. And if you're a disciple, you're like, oh man, yes, golden opportunity. But it, you know, the lukewarmers are like, eh, I think I've got something else going on that night. I'm, I may be out there watching football and hey. You do what you want to do. That's fine. But if I find a a massive crowd of potentially unsaved people or at least people that are not disciples, boom, that is the gold mine. That is an absolute gold mine if you're a disciple. And so Matthew 24, verse 13, Jesus said all these bad things are going to happen. But he said, but he who endures to the end shall be saved. I'm going to endure to the end. I am not walking away from Jesus. I am not letting go. Not now, not ever. And you see some people, I mean, they, they stick with it for a while, but then they just fall off. Can I be honest? I can't stand people like that. I don't just, I don't hate them, but I, why would you do that to Jesus? He stuck with you. He, I mean, and, 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 and it just boggles me. It, and I'm not going to say it blows my mind, but it, it's just, it's, it's baffling how some of the people that I know that Jesus has raised them off of deathbeds. He's brought them up out of the ditch. He has saved their behind time and time and time again more than anybody I know. And yet they don't endure until the end. They're like, you know what? I, I, whatever happened, they, they they just let go, and they won't admit it. They'll they'll straight lie to your face. I have people lying to my face right now. No, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not in the house of the Lord, but I just love Him as much as I always have. I mean, just believe me. Just trust me. I, I'm I'm just as as I, I'm as strong as I've always been. Lies. <laughs> you're not. That's a lie, man. I don't know who you think you're full, but. But that's, that is a bold-faced lie. You can go to heaven without going to church. That's, you can. You really can. But you cannot be a strong Christian without being in the house of the Lord. You can't do it. Don't lie to yourself. It's impossible. Because God called you to be in His assembly. What He's saying in Hebrew, He said, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together like some people do, especially now that the day of His return is approaching. So if there's ever a time to be in the house of God, it's the end times. So, but, but please, please, don't, don't lie to your friends and family and, and to those around you. And say, well, I mean, I, I don't, I don't, I don't go to God's house, but I, but I, but stop. You are not a strong disciple of Jesus. Jesus, before he was even came into all of his glory, I mean, as a kid, he loved to be in the house of God. He loved to be in the temple. They had to, they had to drag him out of there. Jesus loved to be in church. And one time, you remember, he was, he was like 12 years old. His parents lost him and it took several days. They found him. He was in church the whole time teaching people. He was teaching the preachers uh, about the scriptures for several days. Jesus, he said, you should have known, mom, that I would have been in my father's house about his business. Hello. What'd you think I was? 
They were down at the arcade checking that out. They were at Toys R Us. They were still around before it closed. They, the, they, they thought he was at Toys R Us. No, he was at church. So anyway, he who endures to the end shall be saved. And the third thing that I'm here's what I'm getting at. Number three. Come on. If you're a disciple, get up and go and make more disciples. Reproduce yourself. Make more of you if you are one. Now, if you're not one, then, hey, don't make more of who you are. We, we need disciples, okay? We don't need <laughs> We need more disciples, amen? So Matthew chapter 28, flip over there, Matthew 28. But this is an exciting time of year. And, and, it, and if you're somebody that's, uh, you know, you're into seeing people get saved, you're into seeing marriages saved and children, you know, uh, uh, blessed. And, and basically, if you're into the things of God, you've noticed that towards the end of each year, the harvest is pretty much ripe. Whatever it is, towards the end of the year, with Christmas and Thanksgiving, people start to get the warm fuzzies. They put on cardigans and stuff. And so, and, and so they, start, they start thinking about the things of God for some reason. And, and this is the golden time of year to get people into the house of God and and to get people to receive Jesus. I I I don't know why that is totally, but I just know I've seen it for all these years. It it happens. The church always grows at the end of the year. People start coming in. And and I'm telling you right now that listen to me. This is a golden opportunity if again if you're into bringing peace and joy and love and restoration to people, if that's your thing, this is the perfect golden time of year. I mean, it would, it would absolutely shock me if, if anybody that's really into these things would not want to help out with an event like Harvest Event. Am I doing this whole sermon to get volunteers? No, I'm not. But I'm just saying, if, if you want to, if you want to, if you want to help out and, and, and make disciples, if you want to minister, I don't see why we, you would pass something like this up. I mean, this is a gift to you. This is a gift wrap opportunity for you to do something for God. But Jesus told us in Matthew chapter 28, Verse 18, you may know this is the Great Commission, but Jesus came and told his converts. Jesus came and told the people that were cool with the man upstairs. Putting out the vibes, man, me and the man upstairs. Good vibes all day long, coming back and forth. Saw somebody the other day ask me for good vibes again. No! I will pray for you. I will send you no vibes. Why would you want my vibes, man? And I, and I do. I admit, I put out a strong vibe some days. <laughs> Very strong vibe. But listen to me. You don't want the vibes. You want prayer. If you ask me for good vibes again, the choke slam's coming back once again. Matthew 28, verse 18. Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, we'll insert the word, you go and make Converts of all the nations. No, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you. So he's like, teach them the word. You got to teach the new disciples the word of God and be sure of this. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. I like the King James says, even to the end of the world, I'm always going to be with you even to the end of the world. Go and make disciples. 
And if you're in here today and you're a disciple and Jesus is your Lord, something just kind of jumps up on the inside of you when, when that when that is said. That just kind of makes you a little bit happy. That kind of stirs you up a little bit. And you say, man, I want to do this. Do you realize how rewarding it is? Some of you do. When you help somebody that was once headed for hell, they receive Jesus due to the work that you've done in their life. Maybe you led them to the Lord. Maybe you had a part in it. And then you see them over the next season as you mentor them and help them grow. They become a disciple of Jesus. That There's nothing more fulfilling and rewarding in this world than to go out and make disciples. And Jesus said, that's what I want you to do. Go and make disciples of all nations. Teach them the new disciples to obey my commands. Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Go out and do this work. And so we've been studying discipleship for five weeks now. We've put a lot into this. A lot of study, and, and we even started a whole new program. I've got, I think, 21 now. I had a couple more. I think I'm up to, we're, we, not me, we, we're up to 21 people going through spiritual personal training right now. Every day. As a lot of you are in this room. Every day. You know, we're studying a different scripture together. You're getting a new challenge each week. We're going to amp it up over the next few weeks, people, so get ready. But I'm telling you, listen to me. It's a beautiful thing to be making disciples. And these people that have the desire to be a disciple, I'm not worried about them that they're going to fall off the edge. They're going to they're going to fall off the wagon and quit serving Jesus. They're going to stick with it and God's going to use them. But the main call of you as a disciple in this room is to go and reproduce, clone yourself. Make more disciples because disciples are the ones that go and spread the gospel. They're the ones that feed the poor. Disciples are the ones that go out and spread the gospel and make more disciples. And so my challenge for you, if you are interested in being a disciple or if you already are a disciple, you need to have a desire to bring people to Jesus. You can't be nonchalant about it. You can't say, well, that's what the preacher's for. That's what these guys do. You need to have a desire to bring people to Jesus. And, and I, can't under, I can't comprehend that you wouldn't. It's, it's, I, I can't comprehend how you could have been saved from what you were saved from. How you could have been redeemed and restored. And Jesus could have fixed your life. And you wouldn't want somebody else to have that. I'm not embarrassed that Jesus healed me. I'm not embarrassed that Jesus saved me and restored me and cleaned me. It's not embarrassing. I want to tell everybody about it. And I believe that you do too. And so that's the challenge to you. Start getting involved some way, not just at church, but other ways to do your part. To start making more and more and more disciples. Don't keep the good news to yourself. Amen. Let's stand up together today. Thank you for listening to this podcast. For more information, visit hdwc.org.